Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tulsa World Opinion video podcast. And this video is available on podcast. You can download it and subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify, which is a topic we'll talk about a little later. So I'm Jenny Graham, the editorials editor. And Bob, you said editorial writer. And we're just going to kind of talk about things that happened this past week and things on our mind. And um, not to be too sarcastic, but hey, Bob, did you hear hmm. that COVID's breaking all kinds of records? Yeah. Really? If only, if only we had some, you know, warning or some tools to prevent it and uh, things that could, you know, blunt this problem. I know. Yeah, it's, golly, it's a puzzle. It's, I, uh, it's, a, it's a puzzle, man. Well, and and, and when we, I we are being sarcastic, obviously, but and there are people really hurting from it. But I think, well, while people are in um, fatigue and in denial, I'm frustrated, and you're frustrated because we're writing these editorials all the time, trying to get people to to do their part. And I go mm -hmm. into Wal or no Walmart. QT the other day, it's packed, and I'm the only one wearing a mask. And I wondered how many, like me, had been vaccinated and boosted too. And I don't know. I feel like I'm beating my head against the wall, but um, I don't know, Bob. What do you think about this COVID thing? I mean, I'm not sure where we're going with it yet. Well, it's a tough spot, and I keep thinking back to, I mean, we know the statistics about how people get sick, how they react to it, and the wide variety of reactions that you're getting and I think some of that just because the survivability rate is is still in our favor people are just between the fatigue and between the conflicting information or disinformation and all that kind of stuff folks are just kind of giving up and the problem is is that there are there is a group of people who cannot give up and those are the folks that are working in the hospitals and as much as people have downplayed the severity of Omicron, the way our hospitals are being affected is worse than it's ever been. And they, the hospital systems themselves are as weak as they've ever been because, you know, people are just fatigued. They're leaving the profession. They're taking other jobs and all that kind of stuff. You have people in the hallways, people showing up for other needs have to go elsewhere. We had a report this week of somebody having to be sent to a hospital in Wyoming. Now, I've done some road trips out west. I can tell you right now, that's a long haul to go get an emergency procedure done. I think there's so many people that it's out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. And and the the, politi the politicizing of it, I mean, now it's moved over into schools. We have to keep schools open. And we've retread mm -hmm. on that. And we'll retread on it again in the future, I'm sure. But, you know, at, at, at the heart of this is... You know, unvaccinated people in particular are the ones going to the hospital, and we really, really have to figure out how to get to them. And that 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 kind of leads me into my next uh, topic here, which is Spotify. So um, I'm really kind of bummed that I can't hear my "Rocket in the Free World" by Neil Young on my Spotify because uh, that was a perfect ender when you're running. Well, what I do is let's call it a power walk kind of thing. But anyway, in my mind, I'm hearing Neil Young on my Spotify, and now I can't because of Joe Rogan. And for those of you who don't know, 
Neil Young basically said to Spotify, it's either me or Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan's podcast has been ground zero for some crazy conspiracy theories and they're just lies. He'll have on these people with no credentials and just let them spew their thing. And then at the end, he'll say, well, folks, figure it out. And no, it's, you know, if you're going to have a platform that he has and give it over to crazy people, that's spreading misinformation. He has a due diligence when he has that kind of audience to at least have some sort of, I don't know, balance facts, something. And I think Neil Young was the first to say, you know what, him or me. And I guess when Spotify pays you half a billion dollars for exclusivity, they went with Joe Rogan. So, I mean, I, I don't know what I'm looking at, maybe switching platforms. So I'm just curious, Bob, what do you, do you think stuff like that's going to help? Do you think that's going to sort back from fiction ultimately? Well, thankfully, I can still listen to Cinnamon Girl on my own playlist on iTunes, so I'm covered. Uh, but yeah, Spotify made a business decision. Um, they saw Neil Young and they saw Joe Rogan. They know what kind of uh, clicks they're getting off of the Joe Rogan experience. I mean, the way that that particular podcast has just blown up in the last few years is, is amazing, and they're going to ride that thing. It's kind of like... Howard Stern could pretty much say whatever he wants to, and Sirius XM is not going to say boo because they make a bunch of money off that stuff. Uh, how much money do they make off of Neil Young? I couldn't tell you. I don't think he's very paying him that much or any other artist for that matter. But something I saw that was curious today is uh, Neil Young is not alone in this fight or in this argument or whatever. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm a huge uh, Peter Frampton or Barry Manilow listener. Uh, some people are, and they are also saying, hey, if this is how it's going to be, count us out, Spotify, and we'll see what this starts. I wonder if there's going to be a little bit of a generational thing here. You know, what demographics are these artists hitting that actually use Spotify quite a bit versus the demographic that is uh, downloading Joe Rogan? I don't know. No, I, maybe I, just I, like well, you know, whatever. I don't see uh, Copacabana is not on my my playlist. Uh, not Mandy Frampton Live. Come on, it's a great album, great album. And I, I, you don't, you don't have Mandy on yours. I, you're totally, I totally see you as that. Oh you know, gosh, weights and all that. Probably not. But but you know, you bring up a point that that Spotify doesn't pay their artists well, and that's <laughs> been a whole other fight on. Um, you know, they get, you know, less than pennies, you know, per play. And so there mm -hmm. is something to be said about maybe just looking at those overall, but um, I don't know. It's, it's like, I, I don't believe in censorship at all, but uh, that sort of boycott market thing, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because, you know, of course, I'm really tired of having to pay for the same song on, you know, we're, we're that Gen X generation where I'm tired of paying for it on a record and then a cassette and then it yeah. did, and now and I'm like, I'm kind of done. That's why Gen Xers are mad. Well, something that'll be interesting to see. <laughs> what if, say, instead of uh, Neil Young, it was uh, Beyonce? Yeah. Or I, that, Dave Grohl? If it were someone, you're right. I mean, there, there's that generational thing that once younger artists 
that that might make a difference. Well, remember yeah. the Beatles. I mean, I, you know, remember when Beatles went to Spotify and how huge that was? I mean, it's a different mm-hmm. generation, but it's still a very lucrative uh, you know, revenue stream. So that's interesting. Yep. So, you know, speaking of, of the olden days of, I'm thinking of the Olympics and remember like the boycotts of, you know, Russia boycotted us in what was it, 80, 82, 84, 84. Yep. And now we're talking boycotts. Of course, it's late in the game talking about boycotting the, the Beijing Olympics. And, and you're writing about this <laughs> Sunday and, you know, the, at first, if you remember a year ago, U.S. was talking about boycotting based on COVID, that with mm-hmm. China being as secretive as it is about how it's handled COVID and not letting the, the WHO inspectors in to investigate, that was then. Well, now we have all these elected officials wanting to boycott now for a whole different reason. And you kind of were bringing that up. So, so give us a little sneak peek about what you're writing about Sunday. So China is a convenient political punching bag. And I say that not to make light of some of the problems that are there in China or that promise the problems that, say, the U.S. and other Western countries have with China. But these problems have been here for a long time. Um, before we all started understanding the persecution and, in some people's words, acts of genocide against the Uyghur people, uh, in Western China, the same thing was being done to people in Tibet uh, before people started talking about China's uh, takeover of Hong Kong and, and suppressing dissent, there was Tiananmen Square. The difference then and the difference now was back then we talked about it, but we didn't say boo about it because when China decided to go away from real communism and go hard into capitalism, all of us, I mean, as in the world community of nations, saw a chance to make some money. And China is deeply, deeply embedded in the, in the world, uh, world uh, supply chain. We were fine to bark at it a little bit, but not bark too loud. As long as say the Chinese weren't too aggressive otherwise. Well, China has kind of gone from this insular communism to this optimistic capitalism to a much more stern style of nationalism under President Xi Jinping. And they're trying to make room on the world stage and that's making some people uncomfortable. So I think that right there is creating a bigger conflict between countries like us and the Chinese, um, mostly because this is what happens when you have a, a country that rises in power. Um, they are not just a big country that has a little bit of power in a region. They are, they've turned into a global power. So in some cases, they are major competitors with us. And the concern that a lot of folks have is when does that go from being a competitor to an adversary? So I think that's where you see, like in James Langford's case, he had made a resolution on the Senate floor with Marco Rubio asking the Olympic Committee to pull out of the Beijing Games and move the Winter Olympics somewhere else. Way too late in the game for that. That's not going to happen, but it makes for good politics. And so when you have a high-profile conflict or high-profile conflicts going on between, say, us and the Chinese, plus good politics, it makes for things seeming a little bit louder. 
And for the Chinese part, uh, they are kind of adding a little bit of fuel to the fire by being more aggressive in their foreign policy and in their economic policy. Because they think their time is now. They see the 21st century as their century. But, but here's the point, though. The Olympics, shouldn't it be outside politics? That's always been the debate that, you know, Nazi Germany <laughs> held, held, a, held an Olympics uh, that I believe Jesse Owens made history at. And, and so should the Olympics be, should that be part of this? Or should we say, you know what, this is one of those world events that should be free of that? Or are we just moving beyond that? We say that, but it's not really true. I mean, Jesse Owens in the 1936 Olympics, that was very political. The fact that he came in there at a time when the Germans were pronouncing this master race thing and he proved them wrong, that was very political. But had uh, we go, not, had we boycotted, that, that moment of history wouldn't have happened. And so that's what we're true. saying, that should this whole, you know, goes goes back to that, do, do boycotts work? Well, maybe let's go back to 1980 then. We go back to 1980, uh -huh. uh, we had the games in Moscow, and we boycotted that yes. over uh, the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, which in then turn in 1984, they boycotted the Los Angeles games. So there's a phrase that comes out there that sort of everything is political in some way, and sports can be that way. Uh, you can take that across all sports spectrum, and it's true, sports on, especially on the higher stages, does get political. So, so are you for? So, if it were you, would you? If you had, if you could control, would you stay in the Beijing Games or pull out? Uh, I know the mindset that these athletes have trained for years and spent unknown hours, resources, and everything else for these moments. Let them play. That's the way That's I feel. I, I do I do feel that this is something that the game should be above politics, but I know in reality that's not always the case. Hmm. Uh, in this case, I don't think uh, Senator Langford's proposal was all that serious. There was, no, it was it not was going anywhere. I mean, if it were if it were serious, it would have been you know months or a year ago. So yeah. ago, so I mean, it wasn't new. Yeah. So so my column this Sunday, I harken back to my my reporting days where I'm breaking a little news. Um, yeah. It's not as as columny, but I love their local library. And I was our the local librarian of CEO Kimberly Johnson called me and was telling me about this thirty five million dollar capital campaign they're launching to build four new libraries. And so I just it's a hyper local story, but I just find libraries to be completely essential to neighborhoods. And these are neighborhood libraries, uh, Rudisil Regional, which is North Tulsa, one of the busiest library branches in the system, they're looking to move it to Greenwood. And interestingly, they used to have a library on Greenwood, the historical, uh, all, you know, Black, Black Wall Street. And uh, so they're looking to move it back there. And then there's also the Brookside Neighborhood Library um, on Peoria, the Schusterman Library, no, not the Schusterman Library, the, uh, sorry, South Broken Arrow Library. And, um, I'm forgetting the Owasso Library. So those are the ones they're looking at. And uh, Tulsa County is unusual. We're sort of the limousine model of libraries in Oklahoma because it's funded by county property taxes largely. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, those municipal libraries and school libraries are really hurting for the way they're funded. But, um, but, but I'm right. That's what I wrote about. And one, one of the things that I was thinking about when I was writing that is while Tulsa County has a really strong uh, tradition, they are all about openness. They've backed first amendment. I, I started talk, thinking about those school libraries that are facing all kinds of uh, threats now. And I was thinking of the bill being proposed that would allow any parent in a school, public school, to object to a book. And if it's not removed, that the librarian could be fired and the school be fined, school district fined $10,000. Even though there's all processes in place to review books. And so, I don't know, it just kind of got me thinking about book banning and, and things like that. And... And also there was Holocaust Remembrance Week or Day last week that had me thinking about just that idea of, of literature and books and the power of words and, and how we really need to be on top of, of allowing that discussion. And so, Bob, mm. are you for book banning? What do you think? Oh, gosh, what a great idea to ban books. Uh, no, so, I, am well, I am curious. Have you ever purposely read a book that was banned? Like you knew it was controversial or or something that that you read it just because it had a buzz about it i would say i've probably read some books that had buzz um but i'm pretty intentional about that sort of stuff of what i read and what i invest in just because when i'm reading a book i'm really trying to take it in i read slow i enjoy every word and i try to get as much out of it as i can I would say that a lot of the choices that I've made have really helped inform the way I see the world. And I owe a lot of that to a lot of teachers and professors in the past. So it makes, when you choose books that way, and like you're alluding to here, trying to find something that might challenge your view or, or pick a different voice than what you're used to hearing or being around that makes your world a little bit bigger. I'm a firm believer in trying to walk in another person's footsteps. And you do that in part by reading stuff from people who may be way outside of your realm of experience. And I get this strange sense right now from a, a political standpoint that there is a fear of that. And I don't get it because it doesn't make you stronger. It doesn't make you better. It sure as heck doesn't make you understand other people. You can't ban your way out of pretending other people's views don't exist. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. I, I have read. I went out of my way to read books that people wanted to get uh, kicked out of libraries. And some of them were, were very informative. Some of them, I, I Catcher in the Rye was one of the first ones. I hated that book. I read every word. But in the end, I hated it because it was the view of a, of, a, of a rich kid walking around New York calling people phonies. And I'm like halfway through the book, like, get a job. I just, I, you know, so some of those books, <laughs> you know, but, but I think that that came from that, you know, basically a white privilege standpoint, a lot of our old literature does. And so moving into eras where there is so much more space for people of color, people of different faiths, LGBTQ perspectives that we're making, there's now good literature is coming to the attention from those perspectives. And I think it does freak people out. So, so you're right, you know, um, but, but speaking of um, outrages, 
Justice Stephen Breyer decided to resign, which was mm-hmm. interesting. And mm-hmm. Joe Biden has said he's going to appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court. And I say, yay! I I think black women should run. Black women should run the world. I just um, I think it's great. But you know, as 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 predicted, some corners of the power politic are you know saying that's racist in itself because you're spe- you know coming from a specific group and yada yada but but i think first of all they all forgot that ronald reagan made the same kind of promise when he said he was going to nominate the first woman and he did sandra day o'connor and you know i think that the point is the, these traditional processes for appointing the supreme court justices they've all come from harvard or yale that you know whatever these processes are we've just come up with the same type of thinking and the same views that I, I think you have to be purposeful. You know, if you're talking about widening perspectives and, and getting diversity inclusion, you have to be more, more purposeful and you have to go outside those normal routes of recruitment and consideration. So, I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, do you think that that's a wrong way of looking at, at how to go through this? Or, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Well, as far as like the, the nomination that President Biden wants to make, um, I do understand the his desire to to make that move specifically with the type of person in mind he's looking for. So I understand that. I can sort of understand why some people are saying, "Well, you're just limiting the the pool of available, the best available possible jurists to sit on a high court." Okay, that's fine. Well, let's just remember a few things here from a just practical down-to-earth standpoint the president gets to make that choice and he's going to have to go through a process and it's going to have to go through a senate confirmation process so it's not like it's just a one-and-done deal where you're just hiring this person this judge this you know this nominee is going to have to go through a lot of questioning a lot of vetting and everything like that to see i'm just going to assume she is uh qualified to, to be there and if we're going to really turn this thing back a little bit, okay, well, let's just play that game a little bit. Who was our last person to be nominated? Someone who got shotgunned through the federal process as fast as you can for the sole purpose of having her type of voice, and we're talking about Coney Barrett here, um, just to get that kind of a, a vote, I guess, on the court. Now, are you going to tell me Amy Coney Barrett was the best possible jurist? And I think in this case, this was somebody who was chosen for a lot of political optics. Mm-hmm. She may be extremely qualified. She may be a brilliant legal mind. But you cannot tell me that there were not other factors in getting her and some of the other justices on there to be who they are. We could go back to George H.W. Bush. Uh, with the Clarence Thomas nomination. Are you telling me that that was a deal where they picked the best possible jurists or were there political optics involved? Right. And, and I mean, so come in this on, case, let's, let's, let's be real. Well, and if the political optics are to, uh, to me, I, I've been frustrated by just, are you telling me the only people that are qualified for the Supreme Court come from Harvard and Yale? Yep. Like there's no other, no one from any other law school could, and really the, 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 the Constitution doesn't even have 
qualifications. I mean, it could be, I wrote a column one time that it could be Howard Stern and I argue and would still today that he might not be as bad as some of the ones we've had. So, <laughs> I mean, you, there's really no qualifications on that, but um, well, to, to kind of wind it up, we've both had birthdays recently. When we was yours? Did. Uh, January 16th. Well, okay. How old were you or are you? I'm a whopping 52. That's, that's not that. I just, I just turned 50 yesterday. We're like this. I didn't realize we were so close in age. So. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to Aquarian, right? I think, not that I pay a ton of you attention to this, but I'm line? a Capricorn, I think. Oh, I'm worried about you. I thought you were an Aquarian. So. so what was the best birthday gift you got? Oh, man, we kept it super chill. Um, the best birthday, the best gift I got the day, that day was being able to watch football all day, which is exactly <laughs> what I did. I watched football and I ate barbecue. How about pretty, that? It's pretty good. I, you know, it was, it, it was interesting because at 50, it's a weird, it's weird how we have these demar, you know, demarcation of, of time through anything that ends with zero and five. But I didn't want a, a party. I told my parents, COVID, I don't want to be, you know, any of that. And it was nice when you're so busy just to do nothing mm. and just have cake and, uh, brisket tacos and get a pedicure that's pretty much it but but I will say that that my sister went the extra mile and she made a scrapbook of memories where she got at least 50 people to write a memory or something and nice. it was it's it's amazing it's there was this meme going around about and you've seen it where it's like tell people how you feel now don't wait till they're dead it's kind of a cop <laughs> but 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 the sentiment is Morbid. you know to, to do it. and and that's what I felt when I was reading this last night that all these people, you know, at some point in our lives that, you know, we had an effect on each other and, and it was just, so if I can make any suggestion for a gift, it's write a letter, write a memory. Cause it was just that scrapbook is, is awesome. So. My 50th was epic. <laughs> well, that was before the pandemic too, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah. We went, we, we went to angry acts and we threw axes, had a few adult beverages, went to mother road market, ate hot chicken Capped it off at a cigar bar. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think that's going to be my post-COVID uh, celebration. So yeah, I had a ton of people been. out there. Nice. Good food, lots of carrying on and having fun and pretending we were way younger than we were. It was great. Well, I do have a list of like things to do this year. Not like things, not huge. Not like I'm going to go to Europe, but like little things like, um, uh, like I've never been to a, a Jewish synagogue service. So I want to go and experience that. I want to do some things that I should have done by now. And so I'm kind of coming up with lists of things I should have done or need to do, you know, leave a ridiculous tip at a place like a fast food restaurant, you know, like a hundred dollar tip for someone. It was something that I've never done, but I should experience and do and, you know, positive things. So I'm working That'd on that. Sweet. That might be a column sometime, but skydiving um, no, you know i'm just I'm not jumping. Big, yeah i don't need to do anything huge and i'm not interested in falling to my death i just feel <laughs> like that's, that's just, my brother-in-law did that and i'm like okay i i'm fine with watching that so i don't understandable know. but maybe i should do like a with some sort of you know training thing or some some exercise i haven't done i haven't done acupuncture maybe i'll do acupuncture that sounds relaxing you never know. Yeah, so, a bunch of needles stuck in your skin. Well, better than falling out of a plane. So, you know. Yeah, either one sounds kind of iffy to me. <laughs> so, so uh, 
I will say last week I mentioned, I, I was asking about Wordle, the perfect word to start Wordle with. And I don't know, I don't know if you've played it yet. It's addictive. Mm. I love it. And on my birthday, I solved the Wordle in three tries. And I solved the New York Times mini uh, crossword puzzle in a minute and five seconds. Right. Goodness. So it's good. But uh, the former editorials editor, Wayne Green, suggested the word tears, T-E-A-R-S. They had, those are the most uh, commonly used consonants and vowels. He thought it was a perfect word. It is not. I hate to say it, but uh, so whoever designed this designed it beautifully. So where uh, I've been using tears every day and at most one, I think, comes up for every time. You have to know how to play the game that I'm talking about. But, but anyway, I'm still looking. Uh, write us, uh, write Bob, write me, write uh, Alaire, the editor, write to us and uh, talk to us so we know what you want us to talk about. Give us some ideas and uh, that's what we're here for. So Indeed. any last words, Bob? Uh, any last words, any last famous words or any stuff like that? Um, shout out to uh, Union Public Schools for running a debate where everything was cool and awesome last night and nobody got weird. We had smart people talking about issues. That was awesome. I that appreciate is good. It. Good. And I spoke to the Will Rogers Rotary Club last week and they were lovely and we had a great conversation about journalism and uh, also talked a little about politics and it's nice to be around uh, smart people. So we look yeah. forward to more of that. Hey, uh, we all uh, just be good to each other, stay healthy, enjoy another birthday when it comes up. And we'll talk next week. Appreciate yep. it, everybody.